And it's because so much of the joking, like when I was talking about like bros, lads, like they're good with women, right? Geeks, they're defined by being bad with women. They are virgins, they are incels, right? It's all about putting women as like this other, which everyone is defined in relation to. So if you bring women into these spaces and they are just as good and they do or don't want to sleep with you, then that kind of sort of shatters what you've hooked all of your identity onto, which is this idea of like uh, this blob of just like femininity that exists in a space outside that you all are defined against. I'm Alina Utrada, and this is the Anti-Dystopians, the politics podcast about tech. The Anti-Dystopians is hosted and produced by me to provide a space to have conversations about radical and critical approaches to technology. If you'd like to support the production of the Anti-Dystopians, you can subscribe to our email newsletter by following the links below. We also include links to articles, books, or other additional reading mentioned in our conversations, as well as alerts about upcoming episodes, so be sure to take a look. To stop the world from descending into dystopia, subscribe to the Anti-Dystopians wherever you get your podcasts. So hi, everybody. We're here today with Dr. Sean Brooke, who is a Leverhulme Fellow at the Department of Methodology at the London School of Economics, associated with the OII and the Alan Turing Institute. And today we're going to be talking about her research about gender, memes, and hackathons. So thanks so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. So maybe we could just start a little bit with you and your background. Um, What got you into researching, like, tech in general and then specifically how did you get into like gender and memes uh yeah so one of my students in freshers week this year so kindly referred to me as being undisciplined um which I honestly think was a bit of a fair take (laughs) um I started I never initially planned um to go to university like I have learning difficulties state school like pretty much failed my a-levels all of that fun spent a had a misspent year thinking I wanted to be an accountant um before I then decided to go to Portsmouth Uni and do a uh, like a politics degree and there I was really interested in gender. I originally wanted to be a human rights lawyer and I was looking at like gender in sub-Saharan Africa and how it was like interpreted in all of these different spaces. Um, and then I just hit a bit of a wall with studying gender in a political field. So then for my politics thesis, I wrote it on the politics of dating apps um, and looked at Tinder, Grinder, and I think what is now called Meow, like a lesbian dating app. Um, and I looked at how people presented themselves like on and off that app. And I found it like really interesting, this way that people thought about their gender. And, and I also um, started looking at masculinity here as well, because it really intrigued me that the hardest group 
I found to interview, because at this point I was still a qualitative researcher, was straight men. Straight men were the hardest group of people to get to like have an open, critical conversation about like their dating practices. Um, and then after that, I had a wonderful advisor at Portsmouth and he essentially let me do whatever I wanted. Um, so I did my master's thesis on Reddit. So I looked at um, the like the politics on the platform of Reddit Revolt, how Ellen Powell was discussed as a woman and like the glass cliff phenomenon in tech where we move women into CEO positions to allow us to make loads of unpopular changes. Um, and then don't reverse them once we kick them out, right? Nice, easy scapegoat. Everyone read it is, in se is sexist. You can bring in back in Alexis. And I just found like delving into this field to be completely fascinating. There was very little academia in it on the time because this predates like Pepe. It was 2015. Um, and it was just fascinating how these like just really quite toxic views of gender were quite acceptable when it was shared in this format and like shown around. Um, and so then I was just really interested in like techie subculture, gender, and why it kind of seems to be all up for grabs in this space in terms of gender power. And for me, moving from the dating app space to like Reddit, what was really fascinating was the anonymity. Like how are people making sense of gender? How are people presenting gender when a person's gender or like a user's gender is unknown and almost completely irrelevant? And so how does that then work? And it's like performance at its peak. I was by a very supportive supervisor, supported in going to an application to Oxford um, and there I had this idea of talking about like hackers and technology and like the fringes of technological development and like how it is negotiated and how a place can say oh we're completely meritocratic but we exclude all of these people and then eventually uh, coming to like LSE and like helping uh, as a postdoc to like help run even more like programming workshops. And so it's really nice because I think I found this sort of space as an academic where I can live the reality that I'm researching. I can be very pro women's involvement in technology. And then just through the fact of being an academic who studies in that space, be like a role, like a role model almost, but not quite. Like just being my favorite day is this is the first of term when people walk into my class, take a look at me, stop and go, is this, is this Python? And then it just brings me so much joy because I really enjoy like challenging that idea and like putting people just more at ease. Cause I think it's useful for everyone to see someone in these spaces. And so, yeah, so it's been a long trajectory and a bit of a longer ramble. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's such a, like the journey matches up so well too with like the research and I'm so excited yeah this the so the research obviously we're talking about today has to do with like gender and means at hackathons um so I was wondering if maybe for the uninitiated amongst our listeners if you could explain what a meme is although I was wondering if you can explain a meme without a picture of a meme as an example um <laughs> And uh, you, you talk about how, how memes are cultural artifacts and maybe a little bit about like what you mean by that and how, how memes get, get reflected in these spaces and, and cultures. 
Yeah, so if I may, I would like to start off with like the general academic round the houses sort of idea of what a meme is. Um, and this is just because this is how all academic sort of depictions of memes start, right? You either go back to the Greeks or the Romans, right? And so the word meme is modeled on the word gene and it comes from this ancient Greek word for imitation. Uh, as many of your listeners will know, the term was first used by the biologist Richard Dawkins in the 1976 book, The Selfish Gene. Um, and it was used, the word meme, as an ev evolutionary principle to account for how cultural phenomena spread. And so in Dawkins' definition, he used examples of catchphrases or fashion to explain like this concept that he had of memes. And like genes, memes spread and replicate across a given population. In that, in the aptitude to replicate, successful memes remain and spread, whereas unfit ones stall and are forgotten. Thus, memes prove more affected at replicating and survival are selected into the meme pool, reappearing across different times and uh, spaces of communication. Now. This sort of idea of this cultural unit of evolution was not unique to Dawkins, um, but he was in good company with concepts being uh, concepts such as memes being discussed way, way back to like the 1880s. And when the term meme was first used to refer to like the internet phenomenon of internet meme, where we've now even dropped the internet, he was completely against its use in that uh, context. And he said, this is not reflecting of my work. Of course, since memes, internet memes have moved into a wider sort of academic discourse and they're a lot more um, established as a field of study, he has been like, yes, this was my concept, I invented it. Um, and so this is like worthwhile um, knowing this sort of background as this is where academic situates itself. So in academia, like, has been so slow to incorporate, like, the phenomenon of memes into study. And I think that this is just down to, like, structural factors within academia works. And this is not to, like, understate the relevance, but to point it out. And so the first thing um, is that to be established and to be cited within your discipline takes multiple decades, which can mean that fields move more slowly within these disciplinary silos and can be more sort of resistant to change. The other fact is that publishing in communication journals, which I'm sure all sad PhD students are aware, can take a year or more. So my um, memes paper was published, I think, two years after I actually finished the degree in which it was part of. Um, and so this can just mean that academia, whilst it's like studying a phenomenon at the time, can only have its results like publicized later. Um, there are some exceptions to this, like shout out to Lee Moore Schiffman, who has been writing about internet memes pretty much since the birth of the modern internet. Um, but in general, we have been slow to sort of pick them up. Like everyone knew that memes mattered before academics did. And I also think that starting any uh, academic article with talking about how memes should be justified as a topic of study is sort of by the by, right? It's like justifying a non-binary idea of gender. We as a field now believe that exists and we're going to stop justifying it. So when we think about 
means and like what you are and what they are and you said how do you describe an image well we commonly think about memes as images but they can also be videos and were in the earlier days of the internet such as like a uh, star wars kid or purple rain but i in my um understandings of memes as these cultural artifacts these sort of common understandings they can be vocabularies they can be gestures they can be tropes or stereotypes and a, a vocabulary for example think of a word that you and your friends might use that is from like things that you've seen on the like online um how you might like refer to someone as being a bit of a a bit of an incel or a Stacy or a Chad, right? These, this vernacular is all uh, mimetic in my understanding. Um, and these ideas, these titles, which I just mentioned, which I can go into a bit more depth on later, present and parody a particular version of reality. I think it's more useful to compare memes to the stereotypes that you might see in say, sexist or racist sitcoms of like the 1980s 1990s right and think about memes in that way how you have the same tropes and characters that span uh, multiple series and we don't need to ex be explained who that person is we know who that person is um but in characterizing memes as communication i think popularity so the spread and a common understanding of what they are is really really important however this definition of a meme does not default to progressive and inclusive principles and rather this simplification into a one-dimensional form that is so relatable often relies on prejudice and understanding of identity uh, a discriminatory factor that we all can ultimately relate to which can then lead to memes being wonderful being great jokes but it can also lead to spreading stereotypical representations so i wonder then right so like you did anthropological research about memes at hackathons um so i wonder you know for the luddites amongst us the uninitiated you know what is a hackathon and and how do you go about conducting an ethnography of meme usage at a hackathon um, so hackathons are manifestations of technology culture that have existed way before the internet. They are these this ritual, this getting together of people who all um, have like a love for technology. Um, and what a hackathon is, well, first the word gives us a bit of a hint. It is a combination of the terms hack meaning like fast, quick programming, not in the cybersecurity cyber sense, and programming um, in a marathon setting. So over a long but continuous period of time. So these are time intensive but bounded events, which usually span say 24 to 36 hours in terms of like time that you're actually like programming or making like hardware but they will have like an intro before and like a conclusion afterwards. It's 24, hour, 24 to 36 hours of like solid programming. So hackathon attendees known as hackers work in teams to compete for prizes, which can include thousands of dollars. Um, in one, there was a drone and it can even be like seed funding for a startup. So with this hacker maker culture and also the prizes of seed funding, they're quite a unique space where you have this like combination of 
starter, polished, Steve Jobs loving sort of tech spaces with this like hacker, um, like hacker geeky, uh, like Sega Mega Drive sort of culture as well. And there's quite like a mixing of them. So that's why that they were so interesting to me. And the other factors that beyond formal competition, um, they have lots of workshops on offer. They say they're there to get people into coding, to use particular bits of software. They have like sponsors have stands there, which are very often uh, banks. They have, they will hand out Raspberry Pis, like very small computers. And they also provide pretty much all of like the food and sleeping arrangement that you need for the entire event with, due to these sort of like big techie banky sponsors um, with little to no cost to attendees. Some will even reimburse travel expenses. So, my uh, ethnography of a hackathon formed part of my doctoral thesis where I combined data science approach. So I used uh, machine learning and network analysis on programming forums. And I combined that with ethnography to gain this sort of situated understanding of programming spaces. So in my um, exceptionally and uh, obtuse approach to sort of academia, I wanted to be situated in the space I was studying as a person in an in-person event, the same way that the algorithms I used to study my data was situated within, uh, within algorithms and within the data itself. And so it was a carrying of this very sort of anthropological tradition of being like within the data and being like within the space. And I also think it's something that is often dismissed in data science, right? You can write an algorithm now, so why do you ever need to speak to a person again? Um, and I think it's really important that we sort of include both of them and also use it as a point of validation. Um, so I studied seven hackathons in total, including five sponsored by Major League Hacking, which um, help run 200 plus weekend long events each year across the globe, but mainly sort of Europe and the Americas, aiming to cultivate skills and communities and even lead to employment. And I chose these events because they have quite a large number of attendees. They have between 200 and 300 like hackers, as the attendees are called, there at each time. And I work there as a mix as a competitor or as a volunteer, like helping with the tech setup and everything like that. Um, and so this research was really facilitated by the fact that because I've been so involved in Python over the course of my PhD, I was able to like really participate in the teams and really engage with the practices of the hackathon and being able to um, like code while still take into account like social interactions around me, which I, in my incredibly biased view, think is a great, uh, great uh, contribution to the literature, right? It allows you to not quite be on the outside. You can speak the language, you can understand like the nuances of technical knowledge. My main period of research took place between say October, 2019 and January, 2020. I had aimed to attend more, but for some reason, 2020 events just kept getting canceled. <laughs> so strange I wonder what happened then um I wondered like 
when we think about like sexism in general, so we we have this kind of, you know, it's a meme or like a stereotype of, of what we think of as like toxic masculinity, who's like the very like almost, you know, the high school football player who's like the tough jock, who's kind of a bully. Um, so, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like how genderedness and sexism expressed itself in these kind of um, tech contexts in the, in the hackathons and, and how, that differed from how, how toxic masculinity manifested in different ways, as you talk about with the, the quote unquote, the nerd or the programmer and how this um, like differs from traditional understandings of toxic masculinity. And then whether, you know, is this indicative of, of the tech industry at, at large or the, or the coding community or, or, or however you would, you would define that space. Yeah, so I initially was quite um, thrown by like these two different ideas of masculinity um, that ig that exist, which I, in my work, like in referencing the work as others, refer to as geek masculinity from the work of Laurie Kendall and programmer from the work of Ma Hicks. And so first, the geek masculinity portion is um, this like typical trope that we see in films like Revenge of the Geeks or Napoleon Dynamite or even like Big Bang Theory. Uh, they're this um, like one of my favorite phrases of all time, they are um, heterosexually incompetent. They can't talk to women, emphasis on women because they are always straight. Um, they wear glasses, they do work in physics, they love Star Trek, um, and they have like this sort of like complete nerdy persona. They don't look after themselves in terms of their appearance, but they're really smart. And they are the ones who were bullied in school and will make loads of money in technology and come back and be super successful, right? It's a sort of framework which we like to think of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and like all of those within. And then we have the other trope, which is the programmer. And so here, again, being a combination of words, because internet means love combining words, is bro, as in brother, um, and programmer. And for the programmer, it's this slightly more complicated trend that has emerged a lot more recently. I think Hicks sort of pitches it around 2012, 2016. And it's when companies just started getting really excited by the uh, potential of technology. And it was being seen as like, well, you need these geeks in order to write the technology. But part of that geek profile is that they're socially inept. They can't talk to people. Um, geeks are even selected and presumed to be even better programmers if they're socially inept. The programmer is seen to be charismatic, to be a bit sort of laddie, chaddy, like, one of the guys he has some technical ability but generally like compensates that with like salesmanship and um like a sort of brash confidence and so as sort of startup culture is really gaining momentum you have angels investors like just dropping money you start to see like this combination where um startups from the smallest of two people right up to large companies will have this combination of the tech people, the geeks, 
and um, the programmer who are like the sales, they know a little bit. And in like sort of the academic discourse and, the, and even journalistic discussions of these two types, they're often kept quite separate. You have the geeks in their basement and the programmers in their glass silicon offices. So I was initially quite surprised to see them like both in I sound like a bird watcher, but both like working in har harmony at hackathons. Like it wasn't really something um, that I had expected to see. Um, and it was mainly because I had just sort of associated hackathons and this sort of like overnight um, like obsession with technology to be with geeks. Like I still had this very sort of 1980s, 1990s idea of what a hackathon was. And I hadn't really accounted for like these huge money injections. Like I did not go to an event that didn't wasn't sponsored by like Microsoft or uh, or any sort of tech giant. And like you had um, Amazon Web Service like vouchers just being given out in the hundreds, like for each one. Um, and it was really interesting to like watch this like just complete different representations of masculinity and ones that you always sort of are presented as being like opposite each other as in in the geek fantasy they are bullied by the bros and the bros are subverted because they're never quite as good as technology as the geeks um and it was really interesting to watch how this was sort of negotiated in real time um at the hackathons and it was negotiated much in turn with the stereotypes that are in the literature. Um, whereas the geeks would tease the bros for being like uh, hyper-masculine. Um, one, I remember one of the programmers was talking about uh, like the backend dev of something that they were doing. And he just kept like punching his hand as he was saying it to like emphasize his points. And then after, he turned to the group next to him and was very much still within earshot, judging by the amount he like blushed. Um, the geeks, the teams that he had left started like mocking and giggling and like doing the sort of like fist into the hand gesture. And so it was just like this, it was, yeah, it was like watching a tug of war between like various conceptions of masculinity because they could kind of only be defined in relation to the other because they weren't the bro or the bro wasn't the geek. But they sort of did exist like like in a form of harmony, um, but it wasn't also just this binary. There were like versions in between. And there was, it was one of the things that I was also quite surprised to see at hackathons um, was like the visual presence of queerness and queerness was all over like, um, there was attendees had like rainbow colored hair. There was a lot of like LGBT flags on laptops. Um, and it was like so apparent. And this was initially like a, threw me a bit again, because I'm like, okay, so they have multiple masculinities, there's space for queerness. So, and then I sort of realized that the problem wasn't gendered like diversity the problem was like cis femininity that was the problem the problem was not wanting any sort of very obvious femininity there in terms of like hegemonic expressions of femininity and by hegemonic I mean like the culturally dominant ideas so what we consider to be beauty how we think that women should be 
And it was all of this gender diversity that just stopped, stopped short of letting feminine women in these spaces. And so it was quite like shocking to me that you could have this diversity and still miss that group, like still miss these people. And yeah, and I think that that is also quite indicative of larger um, technology culture. And it's because so much of the joking, like when I was talking about like bros, lads, like they're good with women, right? Geeks, they're defined by being bad with women. They are virgins, they are incels, right? It's all about putting women as like this other, which everyone is defined in relation to. So if you bring women into these spaces and they are just as good and they do or don't want to sleep with you, then that kind of sort of shatters what you've hooked all of your identity onto, which is this idea of like uh, this blob of just like femininity that exists in a space outside that you all are defined against. And so it was quite interesting, like unpicking that. And I think that's also why I needed to almost go to like so many events, like seven events for a short-term ethnography is quite a lot. And I think it was just really to understand what was going on there. I wonder, so then in, in terms of then like the women who are present at these events, um, what did you find that like they, you know, they're just like not presenting as traditionally feminine or like, are they present? Like, how are they relating? And then similarly, I'm wondering like for, did you know, it was interesting to say like, right, like there was queer representation, but one of those like things we think of, and that's the stereotype, right, is effeminate men in the queer community. So so are these, I'm just wondering a little bit more about the, like, what does that mean um, in terms of people who who we would slot into this idea of, of feminine? Like, did they exist at all in this space? And if so, then, then how do these groups interact with them? Yeah, um, so in my work and like building off my, uh, like previous research on Reddit, I, tend to think of uh, gender in these spaces in terms of like visibility and what is made visible. And obviously like there's um, limits to what I can say in terms of like what people's gender is. Um, but at one conference they were, they informed me that there was a space on the badge for your pref preferred pronouns. And obviously they know that I'm the gender researcher there because I need to get permission in order to attend them. And so I put my preferred pre pronouns in that space. And then when I was walking around the event, I noticed in the preferred pronouns box, everyone else had their GitHub username. So I think that that was a bit of a pandering maybe um, to what, I, <laughs> what they expected me to want. Um, and yeah, and so with, so there was like, in terms of this visibility, there were women in these spaces and there were queer women in these spaces and there were trans women in these spaces. But in terms of like visibility, visibility, in terms of like acknowledged, in terms of um, like really engrossed in the sociability and the culture of the hackathons, they were just noticeably absent. Um, and there would be like these odd juxtapositions at times. So, for example, 
one of the I find one of the ways that you always know that you're the, the only woman in a space is when you go to the toilet and there's absolutely no one there <laughs> and you're in a very busy place. <laughs> and I think that this is one of the ways that we know. Um, and so at these hackathons, I would go into like the women's toilet and there would be a major league hacking branded tampons. But the place is empty. And it was just this like really odd side by side of like emptiness. But here you are. And it's also like, oh, we're doing an overnight event where we want women there. Oh, no, periods. And just like making sure that it has to be in that space. And it was so odd. That is incredible. <laughs> I love this. That's like they have um, one of the things they said at NASA with the female astronauts. A oh, hundred tampons in space. Yeah, they were like, where's the tampons? And they're like, oh, God, how many tampons do women need? So they gave like hundreds of tampons for one woman so uh yeah it's, it's everywhere isn't it very useful in case anyone gets a nosebleed <laughs> yeah <laughs> or thousands of nosebleeds over <laughs> one weekend um but yeah that, so that's so interesting so then I wonder then so how specifically then does like the memes work to like exclude or to, as you said, like women are presented as the other or femininity almost is presented as the other in which everybody's like kind of basing their identity on. So, so how, how do, do memes work or reflect in terms of how they're either reflecting or entrenching that, that understanding of, of identity and culture? Yeah. So when I was um, looking at memes on reddit and i think it's important when you study like internet cultures and platforms we tend to think of oh i'm studying reddit and i'm studying twitter right and this is how researchers think about like the validity and the generalizability of their work but people don't just like use one platform right like people will have i think it's on average between seven and 13 accounts um and like the overlap between Reddit and hackathons is sizable. Like that Venn diagram is a circle. Like there is very little difference between those sort of two communities, um, which was really shown by them sharing like links to Reddit posts um, and like directly picking memes off Reddit to then share in the Discord channels and the Slack channels, which are these instant messaging platforms that are used a lot at hackathons. And when I was looking at Reddit, one of the um, thing, one of the ways of like framing like this mimetic or this meme sort of identity was that they were always just one standard deviation away from a 18 to 25 year old college educated white man. You're allowed to be one other thing. You're allowed to be a woman. And if the meme is about being a woman, it will be a white woman. It will be a woman between the ages of 18 and 25. If the meme is about race, it will be generally a man, right? And it will be the joke is the fact of his race. And he is still sort of within this category of age. And that's when you're sort of memeing lots of sort of identities. Now, there is exceptions to this. This is obviously not a hard rule, but that is when the meme has like its own character, um, its own personality, like Pepe, that involves sort of beyond referencing only like a human stereotype and stereotypes don't have names whereas Pepe has a name right and so you can see that difference in like okay well this is for an advice animal good guy Greg right so we know 
who that trope is. And then, oh, this is scumbag Stacy, right? So we know who that trope is. But Pepe isn't doesn't have the scumbag or the good sort of label, so it becomes its own character. Um, and so how women can be left out of these memes is they're just simply absent. They aren't there. They're not memed. The memes are about being a man who can't get laid, emphasis on being with a woman laid. So it's very heterosexual. And this means that even when there's um, the queer presence at the hackathons and there is that sort of openness in sociability and in representation, which is really great in person, that this really does not translate onto the online forums. And you will see like usernames with um, rainbow emojis in them, which I always take to infer at the very least support, if not belonging to queer communities, then sharing like very sort of like misogynistic heterosexist ideas. Um, and that's because like, this is the point of reference. Is this like sexism? Is this, um, we are nerdy male virgins, but virgins sex with women sort of aspect to it. Um, and this sort of like invisibility was also kind of there in spaces. Like there'd be some times where um, I would literally, I've never been bumped into jostled and like just completely not have eye contact for so long in my life. And like, it is so bizarre to be in a space for two days and barely get any eye contact. Like it is the weirdest experience. And you sort of feel like out of phase or like you're haunting these places. And like there was one time when we're just all going through a door and I stopped to let a woman through a door. And she was like, I've been waiting here for effing half an hour. I may as well be effing invisible. And I think that this was like a common trope in person and in the memes is that like, women are just invisible and if you're not visibly there then it's really hard to like advocate for equality or to even like make your skills valuable because the first like the precondition to establishing like your value and your contribution in this space is to be recognized to be in it if people don't think you're there then you can't really make claims to be there and you can't show that you actually can excel in that space um, and so it was just really fascinating to me because this memes paper like was never actually meant to be the intention of my research. It was meant to be an in-person ethnography um, to, to like sort of support the online data science -y bit of the thesis. And so it was really fascinating to me, like this real world, like uh, we post this meme in this chat in real time at this event and how you have like... Um, this co-construction, this understanding of what's going on that is both reflected in memes and identity and is also just like actually there in interaction. And I think the hackathons provided like quite a unique opportunity for this. No one knows each other. So the cultural artifacts, the memes, these sort of shared points of reference have to be even more potent than you might expect otherwise. I love, so I love the phrase you have in your article, it's just one sentence that says, where irony is ambivalent, it is indistinguishable from earnestness. Um, and it just, it's so good because it captures something like, 
I feel about, I mean, like you said, one, one difficulty of, of studying memes is that like academia doesn't take it seriously, but on the other hand, it's also like their meaning is so kind of um, like it slips away because the second you like turn around and you're like, explain yourself, people are like, <laughs> it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something so aggressively masculine about like the ironic trolling, joking too. So, so, so it's, it's such a good intersection of, of you know, the phenomenon you're you're describing and researching um but I wonder then could you explain uh, a bit like how how this irony works in in memes and then um it seemed really interesting to me one of the anecdotes you shared about fedoras and nice guys in terms of like do you think this this genderedness this sexism do you think most of these uh people who are participants are aware of it or do you think it goes over a lot of their heads I, th- I just this concept of irony like there's been great work done by people like Andrean Masanari and Ryan Milner on like irony and how it's really important for um, like bonding on platforms and for me there's this element of I- irony which is like this in-groupness the same way that memes work which is like oh, I was being ironic, like it's quite sort of intellectually superior in a way, like, oh, you don't get the joke, oh, it was irony, like, and it still has the same sort of like, uh, um, we know this, but poor you were hooked on it. And I think that we often, like, it's really bizarre in academic study of the internet, because either everything is taken as ironic, or everything is taken at face value and sincere. And I think that one of the phenomenons, like just slightly outside of my research, where I've seen this really happen is with QAnon. Like, I think anyone who's in the sort of spaces of Reddit and 4chan kind of gets that QAnon sort of works in this way of being like internet conspiracy joke irony sort of way. And like with like Pepe, where there's just no limits on the joke, you can be a white supremacist but you're there ironically and it allows you to sort of escape any personal responsibility for the hatred that you're putting out into the world and I think that this exists along a spectrum right so white supremacist is obviously a very extreme example but irony sort of shields a wide manner of behaviors so it also allows you to shield like very um, more implicit, more like subtle forms of joking. And I think handing out the fedoras at the hackathon was this form of irony. It's like, ah, oh, we're geeks, we're nice guys. Isn't it funny that we reference this? And so the nice guy meme, which also was not explained at the hackathon at all, um, is this trope um, of like it's I I would almost say it's like one of the precursors to the incel trope it is this overweight again white guy who is presumed to be straight he is uh always tries to use like white knighting and like chivalry in a very sort of misogynistic way so why like these fedoras have this trope of film noir this mysterious like sexy guy from like black and white films this is what the nice guys are sort of trying to channel there i'm a mysterious gentleman i am better than these chads these bros And when I am nice to you, when I am chivalrous to you, 
I deserve to be repaid in sex, essentially. And this is kind of why the chivalry, one of the catchphrases of the nice guy, is seemed to be tips fedora milady in like a sort of Western cowboy tips hat sort of sense. Um, and like the use of milady as well sort of shows this like very old fashioned look. And the overall idea is mysterious, nice guy, deserves sex for being a nice guy, right? And then this sort of nice guy has become in and of itself a phrase where it doesn't mean a nice guy, but a nice guy is someone completely different. And um, when I was like trying to unpack this phenomenon and seeing like all of this sort of like subtle jokes about virginity, like shared around the hackathons. And then I went to like my fourth or fifth hackathon and people just like started handing out fedoras to everyone who was attending that then had the hackathon logo. I just thought, well, like, fuck me. This is completely perfect. Like this is a satire of satire. Like this is utterly ridiculous. Um, and it was also like a perfect example of how uh, like the culture and the ideas of the hackathon are represented in the memes but the memes come back and they sort of change the space. You suddenly have like this actual physical fedora that is no longer a metaphorical artifact, but is literally an artifact there. Um, and they were also like, they were black. They had like a white band on it. So they were perfect encapsulations of the meme. Um, and then you had all of these hackathon attendees walking around with the fedoras on going, tips fedora milady. Well, they look like with this sort of geek masculine tropes, very much like the guys in the meme. And it was just like fascinating, like this, oh, look, I'm making a joke out of myself that's referencing, wait, myself. And it just sort of didn't really, it like makes a lot of sense, but also completely no sense at the same time. And I think that this is where irony is really important in understanding, like, and ambivalence as well. They both... Inco like incorporate this uh, like conflict and this opposites um, in a way that I think only ever can be understand, as I said, as like earnestness as sincerity because it's being shared and it's being reacted and it's being performed and it's transgressing even like the internet to in person. And if it couldn't get more perfect than having the fedoras handed out at the venue, some people would come in their own fedoras to start off with. So they then put the ironic fedora on top of their actual fedora. And it's just like this perfect visual of like, this one is the joke, but this one is me. And it's just, yeah, you can completely, completely tie itself up in circles. But by being a symbol that also involves like sexualizing women as look, if we're nice to you if we call you milady then we deserve sex then it creates like this default male we're all performing this male character in the nice guy and we're also all um going milady right we're all talking to women it's very hetero and yeah and i just found like that hat of the space like i could write forever about that hat like it was just such a perfect encapsulation of everything that i was sort of trying to research that is incredible. I absolutely love like that example. And then the fedora on top of the fedora is just, <laughs> it, it just transcends. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting. So like 
you know, one of the things that has been talked about in the media over the past couple of years, obviously, is our incels. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of the the tropes that you were mentioning, like the virgin hacker, the the nice guy versus Chad, obviously seem to kind of play into um, or at least, you know, suggest, um, you know, something along the road to incels, if that makes sense, or at least kind of uh, similar to the incel ideology and how they're thinking about women and how their behavior to women requires women to repay them with sexual favors. Um, so I wonder if maybe you could talk a little bit about like h- how these, um, how this like toxic masculinity and these kind of tropes intersect with the incel ideology, both like on and offline. And then of course, also how this kind of intersects with race as well as gender. Yeah. So, um, incel is again, shorthand combination of words for involuntary celibate. So it is seen as it started off, um, with, on a blog, like a, it was actually a gay woman who coined the term, but it has been repurposed and reused and no longer is really valid to use in that sense. Like it means um, this extreme of the nice guy, the extreme sort of denial of sex that then from women to men that then relates into this like toxic, visceral, like just hatred of women. Like they, get like this ambivalence they are like I think you in a lot of ideas when talking about sexism you have this sort of scales of benevolent white knighting I will look after you my lady to complete hostile aggressive violent sexism and I think whilst they have the same uh com- like ingredients in terms of benevolent and hostility in nice guys and incels the incels has an overdose of this hostile sexism this violent hatred towards women this idea that they are um some like purge on society but interestingly it's still defined in in heterosexual terms and in opposition and when we were talking earlier about like the how memes are parody and how like virginity is uh, constantly in discussion in these spaces and the links with memes and internet culture is almost like incels is the unspoken next step. It's the thing that we can't joke about quite so much anymore, maybe in a 4chan setting, but not so much in a Reddit hackathon setting. And by that, I mean, like, there's more of an acceptance of sort of like toxicity and 4chan. It's how far can you push the unacceptable joke and it still be a joke and people still think you're serious. And again, like it's this sort of conflict. Um, But we just have like this thread that sort of virginity that goes from geeks to nice guys to incels with a incompetence to aggression, to just pure violence that sort of like comes and it's, it's consistent throughout these threads and it is, not only shared um, in technology and people who have committed violent acts in the name of this sort of incel ideology, um, then cite these forums, they use these terms, they use the language of these spaces. So in my mind, it is almost like a path of radicalization. It is you can joke about these virgins and it moves to anger. It's like, it's the game, it's pickup artists. Like it's all part of the same sort of trajectory. 
And there's something about these cultures of technology and the forms of communication and um, the shared sort of understanding and opposition to women that sort of allows these ideas to really fester. And I, I do believe that because women aren't in these spaces, because even from like the earliest, most mildest sort of forms of like technology, sexism, our women aren't natural with computers, we're excluding them. We sort of allow this space in which it is quite easy to just sort of move from this nice guy to this incel without ever being like really confronted with the people that we're hating, right? Like research shows that when you have like more diversity and more like inclusion within spaces, you're a lot less likely to hate the people that you previously like hated. Like it's very hard to have this sort of like blanket dislike when you can put like names and faces to that group as when you can sort of homogenize them as like this evil. Um, and so I think that memes sort of give a vocabulary, a language and like faces to this sort of hatred of uh, women that really sort of allows it to move forward. And the parodying of virginness and the hatred of women and the incompatibility of like sex with technology sort of creates like the first little taste of this that allows it to then morph into something more and that is not to say it always does but I think the potential in and of itself should be more of a motivation other than just getting women in technology because we need them there. Yeah it's it's so interesting I was reading for my dissertation Robert Nozick's interesting work on the libertarian state and he talks about the marriage markets and it really mm -hmm. did in kind of the same way that you're you're describing these memes in the tech space it seemed like the road to incels and I think it's important with like the intersectionality um in these sort of spaces and like the combination of race and gender is that gender draws like such a chasm in its sort of like binary understanding of the world that it's all men v women. And whenever the woman is thought about, it is in terms of being a white woman. So women with varying um, identities are completely invisible to an even greater extent. But the framing of women in memes from Stacy is a white, often brunette, often blonde woman. There is very little movement on that. And like with the standard deviation idea, when we when memes incorporate race into them beyond like this default whiteness, it's often because they're making a racist joke as well. At the hackathons, interestingly, they were um, quite, I'd say, sort of diverse depending on the community around them. So for example, Hackathons in the Midlands, like in Birmingham and in Nottingham, where, where I'm from, are like quite diverse because they pick people up from the location. And as I said, they're free. So they tend to be a bit more good, but they're still sort of defined by masculinity to such a greater extent. And I do know that there is lots of other really good work on this space that focuses more on race, such as like Sophia Noble and Dunbar Hester. And like, that is not 
my specialism and it was present there but what I can really see is this default whiteness and how like potent that was yeah it's so interesting I was reading um one of Amiya Srinivasan's right to sex um articles and and one of the my favorite lines from it is that sex is not a sandwich like Mm -hmm. there's this idea it seems like across like both like the memes that you're talking about and in the incel ideology that like sex is a resource that's being like denied or can be distributed more fairly um so it's just like so interesting to see how you know there's some you know it can be reflected in so many different different ways in that you're describing um and then in memes (laughs) I think with with sex in this context like I want to be quite clear that I think that sex is like such a like fun and versatile thing that like it really I want to demonize like like toxic conceptions of like forced heterosexuality but I don't want to like eradicate sex from these spaces in any way and I think it's really important in terms of like gender politics to allow for some sort of room for play with like sex and gender identity. One of uh, one of my favorite quotes is Barbara Risman, where she says that no one wants to be part of a revolution where they can't dirty dance. And there's this <laughs> idea that there is like some, there's some funness to like sexuality and like consensual like objectification. And like, there is, there is like great sort of like power and freedom there. And I think when studying these spaces, we need to be very like careful of not falling into the trap of like having, like recreating this sort of um, hostility towards like femininity in the same way. Like um, it's completely fine to be like done up to the nines and be just turn up to a hackathon right like it is completely fine to just have no interest in computing it is completely fine to be like as just as feminine as fuck in these spaces and I think that that's so so important and it's just more about like doing it on your own terms and no one thinking that your like IQ has dropped 50 points because you've got some red lipstick on like honestly It is utterly ridiculous how much we like mediate someone's intelligence or technical expertise just because they're in touch with their sexuality. And I think that like, we're just like, there is this undercurrent that technology, expertise and sexuality just don't work together whilst also technology expertise is so fascinated with with sexuality, right? penetration testing right like there's just so much innuendo that exists in technology whilst refusing to actually admit anything other than virginity so i think it's so important that we have some sort of like consensual agianic sort of like sexualization in these spaces as well <laughs>